This episode of InsureTech Insider is proudly brought to you by Deloitte. They are focused on uniting the bright ideas from InsureTech with large-scale traditional carriers and everything in between, bringing, of course, their wealth of industry experience and technology know-how into the mix, helping to drive the pace of change and transform insurance as we know it. Welcome to InsureTech Insider, coming to you live from the 11FS office in WeWork, London. I'm Sarah Kachansky from 11FS, and today I'm joined by Nigel Walsh. How are you today, Nigel? I'm hoarse. Excuse the joke. They don't know the joke yet, because I haven't told them what the show's about yet. Hold Um, the joke. (laughs) Today's show will be looking all things related to fraud in pet insurance, and to talk about this with us, we're joined by a fantastic guest, Oki Ilazu, COO of Bought by Many. Welcome back, Oki. Thank you very much. Nice to be here again. How are you doing? Did you have a, a good Christmas, a good festive season? Seems like a long time ago. I'm <laughs> sure it's the same for everyone. Um, but I did. Thank you very much. All right. So before we get started, I'm going to give us a few stats because this may sound like a niche show, um, but we want to sort of um, show the scale of the problem. So um, we did talk about pet insurance back in episode 16, um, but this week we're taking it one step further and we're looking at pet insurance fraud. So 45% of the population of the UK own a pet, and statistical studies estimate there to be about 51 million pets in the UK, and 6.6 million of those people have taken out pet insurance. So that's basically about one in 10 of the entire population. Um, So clearly an industry on the rise. But what about fraud? So pet insurers paid out £775 million in claims in 2017, the highest figure on record, representing a 10% year-on-year increase. Um, basically, that's that's because Brits need help with unexpected costs uh, associated with pet ownership. Um, the number of claims surpassed 1 million for the first time since records began, increasing 10% year-on-year as well. Um, and insurers paid out on average £2 million a day. So the average claim hit a new peak of £757. I mean, I don't think I've ever claimed that on my house insurance. Um, compared That's with the massive, average, well, let me finish. Compared with the average annual premium of £324 for dogs and just £171 for cats. So average claim payouts are up 56% since 2010. So enough, enough stats. I've blinded you with numbers. Um, let's make a start on this. So what, what? types of fraud are we talking about here i mean like how do you how do you fraudulently claim against your pet what are the different ways you could do that well blimey where do we where do we even start with this one and i think this whole idea or concept came about on one of the previous shows we were talking about um where we would go and fix things and i said i'd go fix the paper chain in uh, veterinary surgeons and stuff like that because it was just complicated and whatever else which of course leads to the ability to inject fraud into the overall process and now you're looking at it in a bit more detail it, it's quite worrying I mean what what is pet fraud and where does it start it's very difficult I guess to identify a pet as a pet as a pet wasn't this back to Oliver Ralph saying he wants to ensure fish as well uh, well, no, I think I think the, the original comment came from the fact that, as you say about a paper chain, like it's very hard to do a number of things with animals. For a start, they don't tend to have a birth certificate, so figuring out the age of your average cat or dog is quite difficult, unless they're pedigree. But yeah. you start with that, and it escalates. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really very interesting. I mean, when we started doing pet insurance, we didn't spend a lot of time um, thinking about fraud. We probably still don't spend a lot of time thinking about it for reasons that I'll come to, but because it's not like home and it's not like motor. Um, and I think we, at this point, we've got to talk about vets, right? So, 
So the thing that stops there being even more f- fraud in pet insurance is that the, the, the gatekeeper in pet insurance is a vet, right? So generally, if you're claiming uh, uh, in insurance, you're claiming for something wrong, being wrong with your pet, and the way to validate this is say to the vet, did you see it and what did you do? Now, vets are fine and upstanding uh, members of society. And so actually, we're very lucky in that way that we have this profession to really um, sort of gatekeep the whole thing around fraud. But but it is still possible. And you're absolutely right. It's because um, you, you don't know much about it, – it's very hard to evidence things around a pet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of the fraud is around – pre-existing conditions so um i don't know if you know the term but this is the whole thing about not insuring things that have happened to the pet previously um and that's really really hard to evidence and if people say they've lost that well you know they didn't know which vet they went to recently or they've never been to the vet you can't check with the vet then actually you're open to having to trust the customers um that that pet did not have that condition before they insured it with you yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, the, the biggest problem that Laura and I, producer Laura and I, were talking about this as well is that a dog can't tell you. Like, you no. can't ask the dog. No. Um, and whilst human, you know, there, I'm sure there's human health insurance fraud as well. A lot of the time, you could actually speak to the people involved. I guess wherever you look at in this in this particular scenario, the, the challenges that you have are, whilst vets are very much upstanding citizens of the world, there will always be bad eggs out there. And if you, you, all you have to do is a quick search online and you'll find people that have made and gone to prison as a result, um, people that have made claims to insurance organisations for things they haven't done, be it surgery, medication they've given or whatever else. So I think there's, you can break it down into various different, pe- in various different pieces. The actual things that they've said they do and the cost of doing those things versus the actual pet itself. Is it the same pet as they bought in or they're claiming to have repaired or, or elsewhere? Um, and then as you look back to health insurance in humans, it's the empathy side because we are absolutely in this the country passionate about our pets yeah, and we'll yeah. go to any length to keep them healthy. Yeah, I, I think that's um, true. I th- it's this thing around collusion, right? So are there bad vets out there? They may well be. I have to say we have not found loads and loads and loads of those. Um, we have found individuals who have tried interesting different tactics around pets that maybe don't exist and never existed, um, or uh, pets that were lost, um, that weren't really lost, or were found by people who were actually people's friends. Um, and at the extreme, um, maybe pets that were frozen and death benefits claimed on a numerous occasions from different... Oh, my goodness. Yes, it can happen. So, so I, I was just going to... There was one story that I found when we were researching this, which, which is what you brought up, non-existent pets. This is a story from a few years ago. So, a married couple who conned more than, which is one of the big insurers, out of nearly £9,000 by making fictitious claims on pet insurance for both real and non-existent dogs. Um, so, basically, to make their claims for their dog Buster and two fictitious pooches, who they named Angel and Winston, um, they sent more than forged invoices from a local veterinary practice detailing the animal's illnesses. I mean, that's a high level of fraud. It's a lot of effort to go to. That's a lot of effort for not necessarily an awful lot of money, you know, from a, from a fraudulent perspective. And, and now, more and more these days, you pay the vet anyway. So we will always contact the vet. So um, if they if that happened to us, the, we would have contacted that vet and that vet would have said, I didn't do that. Or So we would we would catch that. Mm. Um, 
do you know what's really interesting about this and this whole area of fraud is how you build claims processes to catch it. Yeah. Um, and how much effort do you really want to go to to do that balanced against the need to have almost like a frictionless process. Yeah. So, so at Bought by Many, we're very much about, we don't want uh, a claim form that has six, you know, pages. And the reason insurance forms, whether they're pet insurance or motor or home, have all of that is generally to try and ask questions to try and catch people doing things fraudulently. So it's... Or spot uh, things that aren't quite right. It might correct. not be fraudulent, but or even in an accident, even in a incorrect. car accident, it's things like, oh, I've all of a sudden forgotten what happened because people do forget what happened. So it's it may not be directly attributable to fraud, but it might be actually indirectly, they weren't trying to diddle the system, but actually they just got it wrong. Yeah, and, and, and the, the word fraud is always fraught um, <laughs> with interpretation, right? So if you said to me, have you had invoices from vets that are wrong? The answer is yes, Yeah. right? Were they trying to perpetrate a fraud? I would say 99% of the time, the answer is no. Yeah. They, they, just, they just made a mistake. Right, and we have to check that and say, well, did you really use that, or did you really use that? And so, so all of that stuff goes into it. That's why I, I, I'm reticent to talk about vets being bad and f- creating fraud. But do they make mistakes? Yes, we did that. We're all quite human, a lot. Yeah, we right? did a, a reasonable amount for mistakes. So, I mean, to get to get back to your, I'm, I'm interested in this idea of because we talked about it before, um, like preventing fraud, like rather than having to deal with it after it happens and trying to get the money back and everything else. I mean, a lot of what insurers are clearly trying to do is to prevent it happening in the first place. Um, given that you use, you know, you're, you're entirely digital, you've got a, a brand new platform, what kind of technologies can you implement that, that make it easier for you to, to either prevent it happening or catch it before it goes too far? I mean, there's a lot of talk in the industry about um, sort of everyone pooling a database. So um, what we're looking for is persistent offenders who may be with someone else. We would have absolutely no visibility of that. Um, and so I think there could be, if if everyone to get together and talk to the vet community and create a database of 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 claims, really, so we could spot any trends or things that looked wrong with pets or owners or vets, for that matter, I think that would be um, really useful. But I think that would need the whole industry to come together and decide that they desperately wanted to do that. And it was a big enough problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think they talk about it being around 2% of overall GWP in pet insurance, which is a problem, but it would be dwarfed by the issues you would have in motorhome and travel. Yeah, I mean, it is an interesting one. So, so as we said, we the, the reason it came up is partly partly we just like talking about pet insurance. We're kind of animal. We like lovers. that. We um, like we like talking about. <laughs> but pets. Um, but it but it is an interesting one, given as well that the the model you use is slightly different as well in the way that you you know you create the insurance, you find the people who are using the insurance. Sort of, I suppose the question is again, like, do, do you find is it easier to stamp out fraud with pedigree animals rather than mongrels, or is it because it's just what you're saying? It's actually the individual actors. It's not. You know, it, it, it's not, it can't be divided like that. I, I think it'd be tough to divide it like that, really. I mean, it's about information, having access to the right information and, and kind of trying to get to the truth. Um, the pedigree or mongrel thing isn't about the dog. It's about the, none of this is about the dog, right? <laughs> it's not the way. dog's fault it's under any dog, circumstances. Not, the dog can't dog. talk to you to your exactly. point. Yeah, exactly. It's about the owner. And I suspect that it's, you're just equally as, uh, likely to come across a, a a bad, in inverted commas, pedigree owner as you are a bad mongrel owner. What we do know, though, is, again, not necessarily a fraudulent thing, but rescue dogs and uh, dogs with 
where people literally don't know. Yeah. People say, has it had this before? I literally have no idea because it's a rescue dog. And so actually we do have, I wouldn't say they're particularly big issues, but in terms of understanding the background of a particular animal, um, many more issues with 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 rescue dogs and so we and have to back trust to the people. rating questions as well when you look at the quote process you go through mm-hmm. it asks you the history or whatever else and if it's a rescue cat or dog or whatever else so you build that into the pricing at the outset to go if it's rescue we know we're going to get more more, more things as a result well we all we have much more uncertainty about the the history of 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 that pet does right. does the because um, i'm trying to remember when the law for microchipping for dogs came in but presumably that helps to a certain extent with this because even rescue dogs have to be chipped after a certain age is that right because all dogs in the uk have to have a chip now or am i gone completely mad um i, I don't know if they have to have a chip do they have uh, to have a chip okay i thought by law they had to maybe uh, let me google that whilst you carry on the mm. conversation i'm not sure they have to have a chip but many dogs and definitely cats are now chipped and i think that helps with um, um identifying them um and theft of well to of be fair pets. anything you get from rescue center will be chipped by default so yeah. we've had two cats from uh so one cat from rescue center and by default comes out with a full certificate from the local vets that they've been looked after while they've been there and they've been chipped and whatever else so they are as well known as possible and the history for the cat that we've got now was um owners had to leave in a hurry that was it there is no other information. I'd like to know. I'd like to know that backstory. Um, <laughs> uh, dog microchipping has been compulsory in the UK since 2016. There you go. So that's wow. the answer to that question. Yeah. Um, what about we talk about like technologies for prevention? A lot of the time when we talk to all types of insurer actually about this, um, about detection of fraud, is is AI using like machine learning to spot when somebody's entering you know data that isn't quite right or that fits a pattern that like either fits a pattern or doesn't fit a pattern, basically, which indicates there might be a suspicious actor there. Is that something that either you use or, you know, you, you want to comment on? Um, we don't use it. Um, I think it's interesting. Um, and um, we had a session with um, a behavioural ec- economist the other day who talked about this very thing and how people who retrace their steps when they input things tend to 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 be, if not fraudulent, there seems to be, you know, a correlation between that and and bad people um we don't use it and and actually we've got this almost principle as a business whether it's right or wrong but actually in in order to create processes that delight customers you have to have a like a certain mindset and that mindset for me comes from the you have to believe that people are telling you the truth because the minute and i think all of insurance suffers from this the minute you start from the premise that most people are not telling us the truth, either in an application form or in a claim form, then actually you build processes and forms to do that. You know, um, you build processes and forms to do that. Um, and that makes it difficult to design really, really quick, frictionless Well, go to, go to application fraud. And this is where I think technology is coming in. I saw a pitch at Instech London quite a while ago where a bunch of vets had got together. So the typical question when you go to a vet is, has your cat or dog, has Buster or Oscar or whatever else been drinking today or eating? Answer, haven't got a clue. Yeah. Because we don't stand next to the bowl. So they've now got technology where either the microchip or the collar uh, connects to a sensor at the bowl and will tell you that Buster has been at the bowl seven times today for more than three seconds, indicating it might have had a drink. Yeah. And that sort of insight gives the vet the ability to go, okay, water or food is going in. Now let's work out where we go go forward. So you're talking about actually that wouldn't necessarily be helpful in detection of fraud unless you as the insurer also had access to that information. Correct. So yeah. you're talking about as an insurer having access to 
greater and broader sources of data. Correct. Yeah. And that actually helps. It's like health insurance for us as individuals. And to your point, dogs, cats won't talk back to you. Whereas with us, we'll sit there with a, a clinician or whatever else and be able to answer the questions backwards and forwards. It's really hard. It's really hard. It's impossible, unless you're Dr. Doolittle, to actually get that sort of information out of the pets. So we've got to use technology somehow to work out what's been going on and then over a period of time work out how we course correct or whatever else that might be. I mean, that that definitely would help a vet. Um, we talk a lot about effectively telematics for pets, right? So um, if you know that information, you know the health of a, a pet, you know that that dog or cat drinks enough water on an yep. ongoing basis which helps with basically with your risk assessment underwriting you know so there's a lot of work and we are included in that i know it's not exactly what we're talking about in fraud but certainly in terms of of, of underwriting and, and risk assessment um really really helps with with pet and i think i know we might talk about it later in the future i think that will become even more important if you can show it's the old fitbit situation if you can show that your dog walks a lot drinks the water and all the rest of it it's risk potential depending on the sort of breed significantly reduces i mean again it's not a fraud but there was a thing on the tv recently about overweight horses it was on over christmas just after christmas and about how many of the horses in the uk is now end up rescue centers because they were overweight same is true for many dogs you can walk around people and go just you just need to look at the dogs and go that dog shouldn't be that shape yeah absolutely and actually at the moment it'd be very difficult to uh, assess from an insurance premium perspective that dog against any other dog. But I was going to say, also, that kind of opens you up to the idea that, um, do you, you know, do you feed your dog chocolate? No, no, I don't know why he's so fat. And that, that <laughs> yeah, kind of becomes yeah. like a fraudulent thing. <laughs> yeah. said it's not, it's not deliberate fraud, but, you know, you take your vet to the dog and your, is it vet to the dog? That really happens Vets do come to dogs. Oh, yeah. um, take your dog to the vet and it has, I assume dog can get diabetes, but let's yes. use that oh, as yeah, an no, example. No, absolutely. And, and, you know, um, then you have to claim the medication and the treatment and you're saying, you know, I, I don't know how it, how it got sick. Even if it's possible re to reverse that, you know, because the dog loses weight, it gets better. It's kind of actually the humans, again, are lying there. It's, it's almost a, vital a vitality equivalent for pets. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely coming. It's the coming, and, you know, and the technology is there now again you can't mandate that people use it but you can suggest that actually if you did use it you could get lower insurance premiums and in the same way as uh, human health insurance the, the premiums going up and up and up and so lots of people looking ways of reducing that and one has to be we know more about the health uh, and well-being and how it's looked after to to decide how much risk there is so why what you say premiums are going up in pet as well uh, yeah, um, absolutely. So, what, what, why, why do you think that is? What's behind? I mean, I'm guessing. I mean, I asked the question because presumably one potential answer could be fraud, but I'm guessing that's not the only part of that, or even the major part. No, it's not. It's not the major part. I mean, um, in the same way as humans, treating uh, illnesses is becoming more expensive. So, drugs are becoming more expensive. There are more treatments than there ever have been before. There are more referral vets. You know, we all see the super vet and what he can do. There's more people doing that sort of thing and more people wanting that to happen for their pets um so treatments the, the core element really is treatment of um pets I mean, medicines I've, and procedures i've watched the super vet some of the money he charges my god he does amazing work but it can be in the like tens of thousands of pounds for yeah. the treatment and that's why people need pet insurance absolutely obviously um, just to bring us back to the fraud point for a moment, a large part of what you do, Aki, and what Bought by Many does is um, community-based. Do you do you 
hold much store by the idea that some of the um, the other kind of peer group based insurers do, which that community leads to less fraud because you all know you're in it together. Um, yes. I mean, the, the whole basis of insurance where it started was community-based, right? And people wouldn't cheat each other because that's like cheating themselves. And so the more you create an, a, um, an environment where people think that they are in with a group um, and they trust the people in that group, um, we can't prove it, but it would suggest that actually there would be less cheating of that group because you're just cheating your peers. And actually, it's really interesting Um pet insurance and especially dogs um there was like the 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 hundred favorite dogs show on last night and this whole breed thing's incredible um and if you have a if you're if you group by breed it's like you are a family and so if you're in the labrador group and you're cheating the labrador you're passionate group, about it aren't you, you? Are, uh, probably more so than your kids sometimes it's quite I, scary I, no i mean if you watch that show it literally is that i mean that person becomes a member of uh, sorry that pet becomes a key member of the family especially a dog i mean cats are st- the same but cats are free spirits right um what's the old saying cats of dogs of owners cats, cats of servants of, that's, and that's and that, isn't that ain't that truth uh, totally <laughs> truth you, know. you speak from experience i have two cats um and really they are in charge completely they run the whole household yeah yeah, yeah. i love it when they come and they're like look at you like i now need to eat you know, and they're, they're like staring at you. I need to eat. All right, okay. You Your know, children so, even do that. No, no. <laughs> yeah. they, they're the other way around. The children. Um, no, yeah, I, I think it's. I think it's an interesting point, and I think it's also bringing that back to um, the idea of like loving your animal. Like you might commit, I don't know, home fraud or like motor fraud because you think nobody's getting hurt. But I wonder if there's an association of like. It's, it's 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 a life here that you're committing fraud against. Like whether that puts people off to a certain extent. But it's not even know. the life piece. It's almost the a friend of mine crashed his car this morning. And called me and said, "What do I do?" I said, "Well, here's how you go through the process with your insurance company." He's, his first crash in or first crash ever. He's like in 38 years. He's like, okay, it was eventually going to happen at some point. It was going to be minus two on this on a slippery road. It's a lump of metal at the end of the day, and yeah. no one was hurt. Yeah. Yeah. No one really cares. We we might be passionate about the cars or bikes or assets, or whatever else. If it's our dog or a cat or whatever else, oh my God, the, the lengths we will go to to get Buster back in order and wagging its tail or whatever else again is unbelievable. Well, it's, it's huge. And and so when we go bring that back to the fraud, one, it is really difficult because of the vet being in the yeah. middle. But there are there are things that people can do um, that don't involve it. So for example, in our policies, if your um, pet is lost, we will pay you know for the the reward to, for it being found. Oh, is that common among insurers? Um, I don't think it's that common, but we, we do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, but that doesn't involve the vet, right? So that is something that could be done fraudulently, um, whereby I, I claim that it was lost and then... You know, I think you, you claim that you found or you it. And then you split and, the, and the reward. The, split I'm the thinking reward. of Mr. Jinx from Meet the Fockers, where they had the, the, the stand-in cat. Have you all seen the movie? Yes, yes, No, yes, I've yeah. definitely not seen You've that movie. You've got to watch yeah. it. It's brilliant. See, so, you know, we're laughing away at the back. Um, can you go back to the frozen pet point? Yes. I don't know why I didn't ask you about that at the time, but can we have that full story, please? <laughs> well, um, th- this didn't happen to us, but it's one that's been discussed in the in the sort of insurance community, and it, it's that... Um, effectively, you need to show evidence of a dead dog. The dog can't die twice. Well, it can, or three times, if it's frozen. And so, um, yeah, you can say, well, here's my dog. So and you I can stick take your it. dog in a freezer? Yeah, then thaw it, take it to the vet and say, 
Um, I wish you, I wish the listeners could see my face because yeah, that's grim. Of course, it's not going to, you know, because it's been frozen, right? So it just looks like it. Re- I mean, I don't know if a vet can say that's a frozen dog. Um, <laughs> well, that dog has been recently frozen, but it's definitely one of the um, stories. It's I definitely the same dog, though, isn't it? Yeah, definitely the same dog, and oh it can be God. it can die multiple times. You see, and <laughs> the so, idea of a frozen dog, but also that is clearly somebody who doesn't love their pet. Like the idea of freezing and reheating, like my mum's my mum's fifteen year old dog. Yes, just... you would assume so. Right, you'd definitely assume That's so. Crazy. It's it's not, but I think you have to go to quite a, a lot of lengths in order to commit a significant fraud on, in pet insurance. Yeah, no, no, I, I believe you. I just, I just wanted that story. D- dare to I even say the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons have a section on their poly- of, the, of their uh, conditions that says veterinary surgeons must act with integrity in all dealings with animal insurance policy. They must complete claims forms carefully and honestly. A veterinary surgeon who acts dishonestly or fraudulently may be liable to criminal investigation and or disciplinary action. Yeah. So it's it's there's a whole section, there's loads of it, I'm not going to call them all out, but there's loads of it about animal insurance and what it means to be a, a registered vet. I, I, think it, I think it's a really interesting area for vets, um, and less so for us in this country with doctors, because most of the things through the NHS, but, but definitely for vets and insurance. And th- there is open to conclusion, mm-hmm. definitely. Um, and so the integrity of vets has to be clear. And insurance fraud is, is, t- is tempting, right? It's tempting. If, if we work together, we can, you know, if I say this to, a, you know, if I'm a vet and I say to a customer, just say this or just do that, we could probably get away with it because we're going to trust yeah. the, the vet. And so that the, there is a real overriding integrity required from the Royal College of Veterinary um, um Vets, surgeons. Surgeons, that's the term I was looking for, thank you. Um, to make sure that that happens, mm. um, I think it's absolutely well, maybe fundamental. We should, maybe we should dig it out for the show notes, but it would be interesting to compare the percentage of fraud in vet, in, sorry, in pet insurance against non-pet, i.e. motor and home or whatever else. Is it lower because of the multiple parties in there? Because equally, a vet could be a... Um, body shop repair shop or a mechanic or whatever else there's multiple parties involved in these things or a builder and we all know what goes on in that space correct and so i mean i have no evidence i would be amazed um if the level of fraud is not higher in in all three of those insurance sets i talked about um home motor and and lower and much lower impact just looked up it says insurance so this is from last year but insurance fraud rises by almost a fifth and it's costing you 50 quid a year um and then it says that fraudulent pet insurance claims rose by a massive 65%, which is the the figure we talked about before. But the number of value of property insurance claims fell. So, yeah. Mm. But I mean, depends they're the not base. bigger. Like. That depends on the base. Yeah. I mean, I, and I think it really does. I mean, the other thing is people's relationship with insurance. Um, it's like your friend never claims his motor insurance. Poor people sometimes think there's so many exclusions, there's so many things that, that you're not going to pay for that actually I need to find a way of getting yeah. around it um, because I'm not going to get my dues. Whereas I think in pet insurance, you know, as, as, well, I can only talk for us, ourselves. I know there are other pet insurance companies where there are loads and loads and loads of exclusions yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and people think, actually, you're just trying to rip me off. You take my money and then when I need you, you don't pay out. Um, but we're not in that space, so um, that's a perception issue. That's an industry perception issue. Correct. Period. Correct. It does say here that um, and this is from two thousand and seven, admittedly, but pet insurance fraud is significantly higher than all other types of insurance fraud in the UK. Well, which is, I mean, there's also, I mean, this is me, me pulling stats off of Google right now, and this may be somebody trying to sell something, but um, but it's an interesting 
it, it's an interesting thing. This is the same the 21st century problems require 21st century solutions. Yeah. So on to that, what you sort of alluded to earlier there, Oki, but what kind of um, either to tackle fraud or just generally within Bought by Many's future, what kind of thing technologies are we looking at that are going to help you do your job better, whether it's preventing fraud, whether it's better underwriting? I mean, we touched on the telematics end of it. I think that's that's definitely going to definitely going to come i think we're edge, edging slowly but surely towards that um I, th- I think that 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 will be useful i think the fraud thing with um databases and us understanding more about that will 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 definitely um help on that on the database one there was a piece of um work for the you, you know we've got criff and mid for motor whatever else that's out there the same now exists for pet so you can actually share claims databases with other insurers. Uh, RSA were in the news last year talking about exactly the same thing, where they used a, a cash pet, pet database mm. of claims that are out there to share amongst other insurers, people that had made claims so you could manage against pre-existing conditions or indeed multiple accounts of the same pet dying again and again. But you yeah. have to make sure people use it though and they update it on time. And and that's the problem, right? You can have as many databases as you like, yep. but if there are only two input points to a database, it's useless. Yeah, rubbish in, rubbish out. And one one thing I would say, uh, maybe some of my pet insurance colleagues would say it's not true. Is it feels like pet insurance is a step, but not not us, um, but uh, obviously uh, a step behind where lots of uh, other forms of insurance are. Home motor, they really are sprinting to be more digital. Such competitive um, industries and real search for differentiation, whereas actually pet insurance, one of the reasons we like it um, as a market and it works for us is that the amount of innovation in it has been limited. The um, status quo of having, uh, you know, Pet Planner's a huge um, number one player, then RSA with all his multiple brands as a uh, second show, which means they, they control about maybe up to 60% of the market, means that actually... There, there was a lack of innovation. I think yeah. that's changing now. But there's still 8 million plus uninsured pets in the UK. Yeah. It's a huge number. It's, it's a great market. And uh, and depending on people's attitudes to pets um, and the cost rising, some the whole idea of self-insurance, which I, I suppose is the enemy of pet insurance, the people just say, put £10 away every month yeah. and it'll be fine. Well, very soon, 10 or maybe even £50 a month won't be fine um, if we talk about, you know, the, the super vet type procedure. And if you want to keep your pet alive, which you can do more and more now, it costs. Yeah. The um, the self-insurance issue for me isn't pet insurance. I am starting to become more and more worried about the number of people I speak to, both uh, young folks that are renting in London through to uh, folks my age that just don't insure. Yeah. So they will have... Travel insurance, because when they're, ab- they're abroad, they want repatriation. They'll have buildings insurance if something because catastrophic goes wrong. Personal insurance, no issue at all. You mean like life insurance? Uh, life insurance, but, but, but contents for your stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. No one cares. Well, I think no, I think that's possibly true, but I also know of a good deal of people who, when I, I speak to, and people I have employed who are younger than me, who don't know what content insurance is. It's not they don't want it. They don't know it exists or what it is. Yeah. It's never even occurred to them. I actually had a conversation with somebody who used to work for me. And I said, so they said, well, the flat's insured. And I said, okay, but if the flat burns down, how are you going to buy new clothes and new jewellery and new shoes? And what about your bed linen and a laptop? And they kind of went, oh. Shall we do a quick survey? Insurance, yes or no? I'm pointing to people in the room, Michael. I don't think so. Laura? Yes. So two out of three have. We've just been proved wrong. Well, two out of three are production team. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I think we could find a big example. Um, um, but, but there is there is a, an element, and um, some of the digital uh, renters, say for example, 
you know, lemonade in the States. There's a way of reaching a different type of person. And we have, I reckon, about 15% of people who buy pet insurance and bought by many have never had a pet insurance before. And that's, we believe, because of our our digital uh, customer acquisition um, process. You know, we are on Facebook, we are using Google, and and therefore we find people who would have been much more difficult for traditional insurers to find. Just thinking out loud, I might be way off track here, but... Actually, if you're using things like AI to look at what images people are posting on Facebook or Instagram or wherever else or Twitter, God help you when we all started posting cat pictures. Yes. Well, but, actually, but we don't do that though. Just to be sure, just to be clear, <laughs> we don't do that. Actually, I was just thinking that that's actually you know how um, when they're trying to catch people for other kinds of fraud, when they do people for holiday fraud, it's nearly always because they've posted their holiday pictures online and they're like, well, clearly you weren't sick. So presumably, there's something here to do with pet insurance. Well, clearly your pet isn't dead because you're still posting pictures of Mr. Fluffy, you know, playing with a, a stuffed mouse or something. Maybe there's a technology there, presumably. Definitely, and certainly the. Um, we don't use it much, but only where we suspect something is going wrong. So like the example I gave you earlier where the reward, um, the reward, so someone said their dog was lost and someone else found it, but we found that using Facebook, you see all those two people are friends. Oh, Easy. And that yeah, just takes one, sort of of your, just, one of your staff to yeah. just put that into the internet and be like, uh, wait. Yeah, <laughs> well, actually, net- network analytics are getting better and better. And this has yeah. come from... The, come, Predominantly from uh, cash for crash uh, car scam gam scam gams scams, um, where you'd go. Actually, this whole network is linked somehow, and then digging into various different databases, work out that collectively they've they've claimed for hundreds of claims in the same place around the same time. Yeah. So network analytics is doing some really cool things in that space. Yeah. No, I can I can see um, how that would definitely work, and and definitely in that space, we only have this thing where we 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 trying to connect people who are you know someone saying they they lost their dog someone saying that they found it and actually it's a very quick and easy check do these two people look like they know each other yeah. yes okay <laughs> done i mean that way it's, it's kind of manual but i mean it works right yeah, yeah. i like totally um okay so let's let's wrap this up so um okay what is anything next for bought by many anything coming down the pipeline you want to tell us about or hint at um look pet insurance has been great for us and uh we believe we have um, the best product um, in a great market, as as Nigel said, and, and actually a lot of our focus now is is in trying to get that message across to more and more and more pet owners. So um, a lot of this year is about us growing our market share in the pet insurance market, um, and we're doing that by just continuing to focus on the experience for customers right through through the whole uh, customer journey, and, and trying to make sure we are better. We like to talk about being 20% better at every point. And do, to do that, we have to use lots and lots of different things. And um, we just talked about uh, internally about how we will be using um, technology, our technology to analyze just simple things like email tickets that come in. So we have a better understanding of what people are contacting us about and why. So we can uh, re-engineer that into our processes to take out some of those pain points. Head them off the pass. Yeah. Or make so, the product more relevant for the customers they need. Right. So, so product design, uh, process design and customer experience informed by uh, feedback from customers, but not in a customer feedback thing, literally from the words they use on um, uh, intercom. So live chat tickets yeah. and emails. We're pretty excited about that. 
No, I mean, and I think I think if you look at some other digital banks, you know, this is slightly crossing over to fintech insiders, but if you look at Bonzo, they did an awful lot of that. They sort of went through what the most common complaints or questions were, and then published answers to them, and that just took away a huge chunk of of time spent responding. It almost feels like common sense, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's the simplest thing. Ever. The thing is, it's, it it was it's very hard to mine text, um, and so when you're getting. 1500 um emails a week yeah you, you know yeah the guys are reading them all but actually to bring them down into an insight perspective is, is very very difficult so and um, that's one of many different things that we are going to do to really try and and grow bought by many in, in the pet insurance market can i ask you a question which is actually the question that um i believe Ra- uh, oliver ralph asked do you insure insure koi cup um not a trick question genuine question <laughs> Bought by many doesn't insure koi carp. It focuses on cats and dogs. We do have an exotic sister business. That was what I was thinking. Yes. I know you have exotic pets, and I couldn't remember if it involved. But wasn't that the thing about like a two point eight million pound koi carp? That was the question. So we were talking about insuring fish and whether it was worth it, and that was what made me think I'd ask you the question. If I'm you sure. It, I'm. I'm sure it probably is for for, for koi carp because <laughs> yeah. that would be off the scale. Yes, yeah. they're, they're <laughs> off the scale. It's very good. Okay. Expensive. Oh, you know, anything that's like that. That's a terrible joke. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right. I, I, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. It was just, it was just came up, but I thought we should. If anybody did, you probably did. I, I'm excited by it. I, I'm concerned about insuring koi carp. No, about pet insurance in general. Um, about where it could go and the opportunities. I, you watch these programs about super vets and whatever else, yeah. and you know the empathy that goes into looking after Mr. Fluffy and Sarah's words. Um, we talk a lot about embedded and invisible insurance, which is easy in motor or home, whatever else. I can't see the innovation yet in pet insurance other than making it frictionless, easy, simple, whatever else, and getting rid of all the crappy paperwork between uh, all the different parts of the, of, of the chain. I mean, I'm just, I still think that something else has to happen in, in pet insurance. Something else could happen, might happen, and I think it could, the wrapping up in things is interesting. So there is the, the, the pets, um, pet tech, as we call it, and I think, I've alluded to already on, on this broadcast. I think this is a big thing that's coming. I think that there is all the pet health thing that goes with pet tech. And so if you think of buying a dog and buying its um, pills and, and uh, worming and all of that, and then buying its collar, which has got its exercise thing, and as long as it's doing all of those things, insurance comes with it and it comes at a rate because we know you're doing X, the y, things that keep it healthy. Uh, I guess it's bundly do- for preventative rather than reactive, right? Correct, yeah. which has got to be the way to go, right? Exactly the same thing. I worked at Prue when we did Prue Health um, pre-vitality. Exactly the same logic. Um, and actually, it just seemed like gym insurance that came with, uh, sorry, gym membership that came with insurance. And yeah. somewhere down the track, there'll be a, a pet tech, a pet health solution that comes with insurance. Well, let, let's look forward to that future. Um, but that wraps up today's discussion. Thank you so much for joining us, Oki. Where can our listeners find out more about you? Um, they can always email on me on oki at com or find me on LinkedIn and just search for Oki Alazi. Perfect. Nigel? You can find me with no voice at Nigel Walsh on Twitter. And you can find me at Sarah Kachansky on Twitter. Thank you so much to our guest, Oki, and of course, my co-host, Nigel, for today's show. As always, you can find the show on Twitter at Instech Insiders. And if you like what you've heard this week, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and please, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you have any suggestions or feedback, please reach out on Twitter or email podcasts at 11fs.com.